In the back, Miss Michelle is back there. Mr. John, you're going to go downstairs for Children's Church. You're going to enjoy the morning down there as they start a new study, sharing God's Word. Sharing God's Word. As they are leaving, just before we get started in our message this morning, I have a very exciting announcement to talk to you about. November the 28th is our annual Christmas banquet, and this year we're trying something a little different. We're going to try it on a Saturday evening. We've heard uh, some conversations that have circulated. Some uh, We kind of did a bit of some reviewing, some evaluating. And, uh, and one of the things that surfaced was, what if we tried it on a Saturday night? What if we gave it a shot? And we said, why not? What does it hurt? So the last Saturday in November, November the 28th, we're going to have our annual Christmas banquet. And as that is being announced, and you heard about it last week, there's lots of things that we need help with. And every year we ask for help cooking turkeys, Last year we did ham, this year we're going to do turkeys and ham again. So we need people to help us cook some turkeys, cook some ham. We need people to help us with skating. We're hoping that skating is going to work out. Um, We need some people to help us with bread and celery and onions and baking, uh, making broccoli salad. And then one of the changes that we've made this year is for our desserts is we've decided... We met as a team on Monday to make some decisions about how we're going to process forward. And this year we're going to try something, again, a little different. We're going to offer two different desserts. We're going to offer apple pie and pumpkin pie. And we're going to be able to take it around and serve people during the dinner. So we can actually take it plated as opposed to a big rush to the dessert table and having the dessert tables tip over and and having people jump all over the desserts. Not that that ever happens because we're much more civil than that, but... I'm giving you a big picture, but we want to be able to serve people. We want to be able to actually have a face-to-face interaction with them and bring them. Would you, what slice of pie would you like? So we need people to help us make pies. So this year, uh, as opposed to making whatever dessert you want, we're looking for people to make pumpkin pie or apple pie. Um, we need about 25 of each pies made so that we can serve. We're planning to serve uh, over 300 people. We're, we're believing that God is going to continue to bring people in the door. And we love serving our community. So what I'm going to do is pass these around. If you can help us out with anything, please fill them out. If you want to, I'll kind of split them up. There's some uh, extra stuff in here like uh, decorating and setting up and helping us with all those details. So I'll kind of throw this around. Not, well, I won't throw it. That would be bad if I threw it. So I'm going to start this here. If you guys can just circulate it as we, as we get going, we want to take any chance we can to just bless our community as we, uh, as we continue to look at ways we can serve them and care for them. So this morning, oh, it's good to be back. I was down in Haleberry last week uh, helping out, filling in for Pastor Jason who was on vacation. And, uh, and I'm, I, I'm, I've never realized how magical the statement is from the Wizard of Oz. Never Never realized it. Now I'm really beginning to realize. You remember when Dorothy stood there with her ruby red slippers and what did she do? She clicked her heels together and said, what? There's no place like home. You know, there's no place like home. Um, it was great to be away. And, and we, we love the church and we love serving people, but we just, we love being at home. And we love being with, with you guys. And, uh, and it's true. There's no place like home. But we're back and ready to uh, launch a brand new series. So we're starting fresh for the next four weeks looking at this new series called Elisha, the life of Elisha. It's not really called Elisha, it's, it's the life of Elisha, the Old Testament prophet Elisha, not Elijah, 
but Elisha. Kind of confusing because it could sound like you're saying the same name. But there are two different people. And we're looking at Elisha who is the one who came after Elijah. And this idea and this kind of picture that we want to talk about is uh, what his life looked like. To get us started and to get us to understand and to get us to this place where we begin the journey to, to for this series. Has, how many of you that are um, a little older have ever experienced the younger generation using words that all of a sudden have a different meaning. <laughs> Teachers are like, oh me, I have had it. I remember this story. Uh, one of, uh, an older pastor shared these words. And he said, I couldn't believe it one Sunday morning. My youth pastor stood up in front of the congregation and he was sitting on the platform. And he, he says, we're welcoming everybody. And the, past, the youth pastor, great guy, he stood at the front and he took the mic and he looked out at everyone and he says, Man, you guys are so wicked. And the pastor, his mouth went, Aah! He's like, you're calling my people evil and bad. And, and, and the youth pastor, kind of, as, as the older generation is kind of going, No, I'm not wicked. The younger generation is going, Yeah! Because the definition changed. You see, he was saying they were awesome. Their engagement in worship was so great. And the, the pastor's thinking he's calling them evil and this definition of terms. It's amazing how words can change. One of those words is this word right here. Ridiculous. We're looking at Elisha, which is a tale of ridiculous faith. This word ridiculous, maybe for some of you, if you, if you have grown up with it or you have looked it up in the dictionary before, it means this, laughable, okay? Ridiculous means laughable. So I'm not telling you that I want to talk to you about a tale of a laughable faith because that's not what Elisha is all about. In fact, in today's culture, the word ridiculous means this, something that is unbelievable. So for this current generation, maybe you've heard them say, oh man, that's ridiculous. And they're saying, that was unbelievable. And this is what I want you to catch. That this series is about this guy named Elisha who had this tale of ridiculous faith. That it was unbelievable faith. That he did some incredible things empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered by God to Im- impact and to speak to and to influence people, regular people and leaders and kings. And he spoke on behalf of God. This is a tale of ridiculous faith. Not just, uh, not just laughable faith. But I mean unbelievable faith. Faith that I long for in my life. Faith that I hope that we all long for in our lives. That when we are done from this earth. That we will have a tale of ridiculous faith. Unbelievable faith that people will talk about. As we leave our legacy and our mark amongst those who we serve and care and love. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at, for four weeks, we're going to look at these four different icons, and they each have a significant meaning in the life of Elisha. Week one, which is today, we're going to talk about this. This, this uh, For those of you who are of the younger generation, this is a telephone. You used to turn it, and it would go... That's a telephone. You talked on it. It had a long cord that you couldn't, you know, before the day of... Anyways, the call. We're going to talk about answering 
the call that God has on your life and the ridiculous, the unbelievable commitment that it takes. Next week, we're going to look at this icon here, this, this shovel. And we're going to talk about digging ditches in the life of Elijah, Elisha, sorry. And it's this ridiculous faith that he had, this unbelievable faith to believe and to dig ditches. Week three, we're going to look at this jar here. And this jar is about the, the moment when God filled the jar with oil, overflowed, kept filling and kept filling this ridiculous or unbelievable provision that came in as he cared for. And lastly, we're going to look at this axe and the story of the axe head that fell in the water and that Elisha was able to bring, and and not that he did it, that God did it through him, but that he found it, this ridiculous or unbelievable recovery. And we're going to look at how that applies in our life as we live out this life of faith that maybe will be your name here, a tale of ridiculous faith, unbelievable faith. And maybe these pictures will be a little bit different, but I believe that they'll all start with this one here, answering the call, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. A little background on Elisha. Sometime around the 9th century BC, Israel now was divided into two nations. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, ruled by kings, but it was full of adultery. It was Baal worship everywhere. And uh, up until this point, God had been using Elijah, the prophet, to speak on his behalf to the nation of Israel. And it was time now for him to find a successor. Someone who was going to fill his shoes. Someone who was going to take it to the next level. Someone who was going to uh, begin to speak on behalf of God as he leaves. Cue Elisha. Elisha, a young, ordinary man. Working an ordinary job, doing life that he'd always known. He was the son of a wealthy landowner, but he was a worker. He just did what he was supposed to do. He worked day in and day out. He lived his life. And then there comes this moment where God places a call on Elisha's life. And he's in this position where he makes, has to make a decision about what was going to happen. And as Elijah comes and finds Elisha and throws his cloak over him, this call is issued and Elisha has a choice to choose to follow it or to stay. He has a choice whether he's going to pick up the phone and answer it or if he's going to let it ring and pass on by. And as the story moves forward and we're going to begin to look at it, we see that Elisha begins to walk in the steps of Elijah, becomes his like his disciple and his apprentice. And he's learning, and he's learning, and he's learning, and he's spending time with Elijah, and he's spending time with Elijah, and he's watching as there's these miracles that take place in the life of Elijah. I think there were about eight that's recorded in Scripture. And then when Elisha takes over and, and receives the, the double portion and moves into this prophetic ministry, and he begins to operate as the prophet for Israel... There's eight, uh, 16, sorry, I believe there's 16 recorded miracles. Twice as many miracles as his, as his predecessor. Twice as many miracles as what he performs in his life. It's a tale of ridiculous faith. It's unbelievable. Because he was submitted to and served God. Who's able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. He 
move through Elisha. So here's where we're going to start this morning. I want to read you this story found in 1 Kings. If you want to turn your Bible, you can, you can flip to 1 Kings chapter 19. If you want to grab Bible from the front of the pew or uh, on your phone or however you want to read this morning, it's fine. 1 Kings chapter 19 is where we start, is where we pick up the story of Elijah and Elisha as we begin our study. 1 Kings 19 is this moment where Elijah... Not Elisha, Elijah has just run into the mountains because he's fearful for his life. Which in some ways doesn't make sense to me because in the previous chapter, he stood in front of, what is it, 250 prophets of Baal and he said, listen, you tell me whose God is whose. I bet you it's mine, not yours. And whoever sends fire first. So this incredible miracle takes place where the altar's drenched with water and the fire of God comes down and all these prophets are destroyed. And the nation begins to recognize Elijah's God as the God of Israel. And yet, in the very next chapter, after some queen, Queen Jezebel, decides to send message to him that she wants to kill him, he runs in fear. It's this great balance of this mountaintop experience to this incredible pit in the valley. But here's how the story picks up. As, Elijah, as Elijah's in the, va- in the pit, as he's in the mountain, as he's fearing his life, as he's run away, he then hears from God, not in an earthquake, not in fire, but in this still small voice. And it says these words to him. The Lord said to him, being Elijah, go back the way you came. This is uh, chapter 19, verse 15. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maloya, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazel. And Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. God's had this moment with Elijah, the prophet. He says, listen, you need to go back the way you came. Don't be scared. Remember, his, his reason for running was because he was the only prophet left. There was no one else who wasn't, hadn't worshipped Baal. And they're going to kill me. And God says to him, go back the way you came. Anoint these people king and anoint this person to be the prophet who will succeed you. Oh, and by the way, there are 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose lips or mouths have not kissed him. Reassuring faith to Elijah. And Elijah goes back and here's what happens in verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, the first person he went to find was Elisha, the one who was going to succeed him as the prophet. And he was, he being Elisha, was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elijah came up to Elisha who's working in the field and throws his cloak around him and then turns and walks 
away. And said, Elisha then left his ox and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. He said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elisha replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his attendant, or in other translations, his servant. So here's, here's the story. Elijah has just had this encounter with God that he says, listen, I've got somebody already planned, already prepared to be the next prophet, to be your successor. His name is Elisha. And you're going to go and find him and anoint him. And when you anoint him, he's going to, then over time, he's going to take over and become the next prophet for Israel. And he's going to speak on my behalf to the people, to kings, to rulers. He's going to do incredible things. So Elijah then goes and finds Elisha. And in this moment... When Elijah finds Elisha, Elisha has a choice whether he's going to answer the call or not. Each one of us has a choice in our life whether we're going to answer the call. So answering the call, I want to talk a bit about this this morning. How many of you have a cell phone? How many of you have a phone at home that has call display? So you all have a way of seeing a phone number that calls. Now, how many of you, if you're honest enough, will hit end or not answer a call when you see a number that shows up on it. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, if you knew for 100% certainty that the phone call was coming in was a telemarketer, would not answer it? Yeah, I thought so. We screen our calls. We screen our calls. We make a choice whether we're going to answer the call or not. When my phone rings and I'm somewhere, and whether it's here or whether it's, at work, whether it's here at work or whether it's out and about, when my phone rings, it tells me who's calling. And, uh, and I look at it and I make a choice. Do I slide it over and answer it? Or do I put it down and pretend like it's not ringing? I'm not here. All of you that have cell phones, I know it's usually in your pocket when I'm calling you and you ignore my call. Some of you are busy, I get it. But we choose. If my wife calls me, I'll always answer it. But I always look first. Who's calling me first? We always screen our calls. Some of us are more... Uh, um, intentional about it than others some of us just don't ever answer the phone and hope for the answering machine to pick up but we all screen our calls we all look at the number and make a decision whether we're going to answer it or not here's the scary part because maybe this has become a custom in our life sometimes when god calls us to something we screen it and go hmm am i going to answer that one or am i going to let it pass and i'll pick up the voicemail afterwards we have a choice whether we answer the call or not. Imagine, here just for a second. Elisha is working. He's plowing the field. He's doing work. And this guy walks up to him and throws his cloak over him. Two choices. Keep going or do what he did, which is run after him. God was calling Elisha to something great. And he had to make a choice of whether he was going to answer it or not. Here's what I want to do. Each one of us, I believe this, that we, in our life, I want to talk about God's call on your life. Because I know a lot of people, and I've talked to a lot of people that have said, I don't think that God's called me to anything. Well, I disagree with that statement. And then I know a lot of people that says, well, I know God's called me to something, but 
I don't necessarily get why. And I don't, I can understand that. But I want to wrestle through this answering the call that God has in your life. And I want to give you a couple of thoughts, a couple of things to wrestle through that I think Elijah, Elisha kind of caught quickly. But here's the first thing. That you are, this is very specific, you are called by God for great things. Elisha was called by God for great things. You, yes, you, yeah, 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 you are called by God for great things. You may not believe that. You may not want to acknowledge that. But I'm telling you, each one of you is called by God for great things. Let's look at Elisha for a second. The Lord sent him, uh, said to him, go back the way you came. This is talking to Elijah. And go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu the son of uh, Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha the son of Shaphat from Abel uh, Meloah to succeed you as prophet. This is before, maybe he's even... Elijah and Elisha have ever met that God's telling him that I've called Elisha for great things. He's probably had some conversation with Elisha because I think when someone comes to you with a prophetic word that God's already stirred it in your heart and that prophetic word is for assurance for what God's already doing within you. So Elijah is being told that Elisha is being called for great things. Elijah is now, it just has to come to him and throw his cloak over him and begin this process because God has called you for great things. You are called by God for great things. If this isn't enough for you, let me point you to another great scripture, Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to what? Do good works. To do great things which God prepared in advance for you to do. That God has called you that God has called you to do great things. You are called by God for great things. That you may not, it may not be this in calling into ministry, but you're called to do something. You're called to minister to people. You're called to love people. You're called by God for great things. The question is will you answer the call? Are you going to screen it or are you going to pick it up and say hello? Will you answer the call? You are called by God for great things. The other thing that I want to point out about answering the call is this. Because sometimes I think we get caught in this trap. Is this, that your family name doesn't limit your calling. Your family name doesn't limit your calling. Why do I say that? I say that because I know people who would say, well, it works one of two ways. Well, I don't have anybody who's ever done anything. Like, I'm a, I'm, me personally, I'm a first-generation Christian. I got saved, and then uh, my brother got saved, and then my parents got saved. I'm a first-generation Christian. My family name doesn't limit my calling. So just because I, I'm a first-generation Christian doesn't limit my calling. It doesn't also guarantee me a specific calling. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at Elisha here for a second. Elisha, Scripture tells us, was the son of Shaphat. The son of Shaphat. Shaphat was a a wealthy landowner. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't someone who was in uh, high authority in government. He wasn't a king. He wasn't a ruler. He was a landowner. And Elisha was a worker plowing in the field. 
He himself was driving the 12th pair. He was just a worker. He got up in the morning, went into the field, plowed the field, worked with the oxen, smelt like an oxen. He wasn't anything what you could call special to be fit for profit, but God had called him for great things. It wasn't his family name that gave him the, the entitlement to become a prophet. It's not the family name that gives you entitlement to become a pastor. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that my children are called to be pastors. If God calls them to be pastors, that's great. But just because their last name is Nelson doesn't mean that they're going to be a pastor. Your family name doesn't limit your calling or your family name doesn't uh, entitle you to a calling. God has called you specifically for great things. And it may not be in the line of your family name. Or maybe it breaks down the thought, well, I don't come from a line of pastors or I don't come from a line of people in the church. I don't come from a line of elders, so I can't be an elder. Well, no, God's calling for you is specific for you and it doesn't matter what your family name is. God uses Elisha as a prophet who wasn't a priest, who wasn't, may, may not even been very educated in the scripture. But God had a calling for him. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him, passing the mantle onto him. This is the calling. Listen, I'm calling you. God is calling you. Not because of your family name. Not because your, your dad paid X, X money. No, because God called you. God called you. So here's the question. Will you answer it? Because answering God's call requires a ridiculous commitment. Not a laughable commitment. An unbelievable commitment. Answering God's call requires, requires a ridiculous commitment. Are you willing to answer the call that God has for you? For you. Answering the call. So let's look at this idea of ridiculous commitment. So if answering the call requires a ridiculous commitment, let's look at two principles of, a ridic- of ridiculous commitment. Excuse me, of unbelievable commitment. Two principles that I want to suggest to you this morning that will help us. I think they'll help you as we begin to walk this life that God has called us to. And we begin to build this tale of ridiculous faith, unbelievable faith that gets shared about us. So here are two principles of ridiculous commitment, which is what our focus is this morning. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. Here's principle number one about ridiculous commitment, unbelievable commitment that you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. You don't have to have all the ducks in a row to to obey immediately. You don't have to have this huge pros and cons list written out to obey immediately. God calls you. You don't have to understand it all to obey Immediately. The Lord said, Did I get the right spot? Sorry. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So Elijah had just thrown the cloak, the mantle over his shoulders as he's working. And he didn't understand fully, but he obeyed immediately. And he turned and he ran. And he ran after Elijah and he said, Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will come with you. 
I don't understand it all. Look at here. He didn't, in this moment, he didn't go, there's a cloak over me. What does that mean? Is that this? Oh, what's the pro? If I run and turn and follow him, then I'm going to be doing this, 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 and this. But the bad thing is this, this, this. No, he turned and he ran immediately. And he went over to him and he said, listen, I, haven't under, I don't understand it all. I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why you're doing this or, or, or all of this stuff. But I, let me just go and kiss mom and dad goodbye and let me come back and follow you. You see, we don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. It's amazing how many times we try to analyze or attempt to fully understand anything before we make a decision to do it when God's calling us. I think we need to know that God's calling us. Know for certainty that it's God that's calling us. But we don't have to have everything in place in order to obey. I think sometimes we want every I dotted and T crossed before we even think about moving our butts out of the chair. I'm there too. Let me tell you a story. When we came here and interviewed, before we came here and interviewed, God had been working in Michelle and I and, 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 and kind of really defined in our hearts that it was time for us to move, that God was leading us into a new place. We didn't know where it was. We knew we were in the season of transition and that God was going to move us to a place where He had designed, where He had planned for us. And we were just going to be obedient and listen to His call. We got a call about an interview here. We came here and we met with the board. We had a great time, great discussion. We got back in the car and began to drive home. And, and this is kind of typical what we, we would do. And, and, and I, would, I looked at Michelle and I said, so what would you think? And let me tell you, this was her first response. What do you think? And I said, well, you know, this, this, and this. And in her head, she's already said, we're going there. She knew before, without rationalizing, I'm kind of going through the pros and cons list. Like, I'm thinking about all the stuff. We've got to sell our house. we got to do this. And she's like, we're going there. So you don't have to fully understand how it's all going to work out to obey immediately. See, I'm there. I wrestle through this too. But it's a principle of ridiculous commitment that you don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. Yet sometimes I think we do. Listen, God's call is often a little vague in calling us to obedience. Think about this. God told Abraham in Genesis to take his only son and to sacrifice him. And do you remember what he said? Go to the mountain that I will show you. But go. You've got to take him first. And when you're on your way, I'll show you where it is. If Abraham had all, have all his I's dotted and his T's crossed, he would have never left until he knew for sure where that place was. Think about the disciples. Jesus said to his disciples this, Follow me. He didn't tell them what it was going to be like to follow him, but they immediately followed him. Think about Peter in the boat. Jesus comes to him as the storm's crashing against the side. And what does he say? Come. If Peter would have went, okay, the waves are blowing, and that's what happened when he got on the water afterwards. Sometimes the call is a little vague, so we don't have to obey we don't have to, sorry, we don't have to fully understand to obey immediately. We just need to obey when God calls. 
Now, Elisha understood something significant about this. He understood this principle, that the cost of following God is great, but the cost of not following Him is greater. He understood that the cost of following God was great, but the cost of not following God is greater. So he was willing, without fully understanding, to obey immediately. Because he knew that following God was great, and it's going to cost me something. But not following Him is going to cost me a whole lot more. So he answered the call. He answered the call, which requires ridiculous commitment. And that ridiculous commitment is that you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. But the second principle is this, that those God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Those who God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Look at Elisha, okay? Elijah throws the cloak over him. Elisha turns and runs. And he says, let me go kiss mommy and daddy goodbye and then I'll come back and I'll follow you. But here's what he did. He took his hands off of what was to pursue what is. What do I mean by that? Let's look at this. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and what? Slaughtered them. Remember the yoke of oxen is what he was working the fields with. He slaughtered them and he burned the plowing equipment. He let go of everything that was for what is. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and to give it to the people and they ate. And they had a party before he left. Then, it says, he set out to follow Elijah, Elijah sorry, and become his servant. Those who God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Elijah saw that when God called him to do this uh, incredible calling, that it meant that he had to let go of the comfort that he knew, the plowing. So what did he do? Instead of just walk away from it, he got rid of it altogether. I mean, he slaughtered the oxen, he burned the plows, he cooked the meat, and he had a party. And then he went forward because he let go of what was to embrace what is. He let go of what was to embrace what is. Jesus says these words in Luke 9. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand on a plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We need to let go of what was to pursue what is. Jesus also, Luke chapter 5, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. This is the moment when he's calling the disciples, when he's calling them to come and follow him. He says, you know what? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you fish for people and listen to what they did. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything. They didn't just leave one or two things. They left everything and followed him. They gave up all of what was for what is. If we want to answer the call and we want this ridiculous commitment in our life, then we need to give up what was to follow what is. What is God calling us to? We have to give up what was for what is. Here's a great thought for you this morning. To step towards your destiny, your destiny being what God's called you to, you have to step away from your security. To step towards your destiny. That what God is calling you to. You have to step away from your security. Now, I want to emphasize this because this could sound like 
you got to give up your job, you got to give up your this, you got to give up your that. I don't know what God's calling you to. But I know that God's calling you to. When God called me to ministry, I had to give up, and it was hard for me at times. My first tension with the call for ministry was giving up what I wanted for what He wanted. My security is what I thought I liked and enjoyed. But for me to walk into that calling that God had, I had to give up that security. So I'm not saying that it means you have to quit your job today or tomorrow or even in a year from now. But what I'm saying is that there's probably something in your life that is security that may not let you do what God's calling you to do. And if you want to do what God's calling you to do, then maybe you have to let go of what was and embrace what is. Principle number one, you don't have to fully understand fully to obey immediately. Principle number two is that those who God uses the most are the ones who hold on to the least. Elisha let go of everything. All of his security, which was what he'd always known, work in the fields, to become a servant to Elijah, to one day fulfill the calling that God had on his life, what was what was to become the prophet, the next prophet, the successor to Elijah. Here's the great part about this story. One, two, three. Three pages. That means a few years go by before Elisha is able to walk in the calling that God placed in his life fully. He walked under Elijah for a number of years, learned from Elijah, committed himself, answered the call, walked away from what was for what is to follow Elijah and God and then one day become the next prophet. Here's what I want to close with this morning. A ridiculous commitment, an unbelievable commitment. The ridiculous commitment that Elisha makes is unbelievable. But we too need to make a ridiculous commitment. It equals this. Being fully committed all the time. Not just when it is convenient. Fully committed all the time. Not just when it's convenient. Elisha, how many years did he walk with Elijah fully committed to him. It may not have been convenient a lot of the time, but he walked with him because he was fully committed to answering the call that God had placed in his life. He gave up what was for what is, and he was fully committed all the time, not just when it was convenient. Look in 2 Kings chapter 2, the story of when Elisha comes into the moment of becoming the, the prophet. It says these words, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven... In a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal. They were doing what they'd always done. They were busy working, doing ministry, and Elisha's learning and learning and learning and learning. It says then after this, Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. Stay here. Stay here. The Lord's sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Why? Because he had made a ridiculous commitment because he let go of what was for what is and he was answering the call. 
it, it, may, it may be convenient for him to just stop and rest. But he says, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel together. They had this moment of interaction. And then Elisha, Elijah said to him again a second time, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. Guess what Elisha says? As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Twice. So they went to Jericho. They have an interaction again. Then Elijah says to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, being Elisha, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Why? He let go of what was for what is. He was fully committed all the time. Not just when it was convenient. All of the time. So the two of them walked on. They get to the Jordan. It says that Elijah rolled up his cloak and smacked the Jordan. The Jordan opened and they walked across. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Tell me what I can do for you before I'm taken from you. And Elijah said this, Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Fully committed all the time. Not just when it's convenient. After this moment, Elijah's taken up. Elijah actually said, Whoa, that's pretty that's a pretty substantial request. But if the Lord wills, you'll see me be taken away. Then you will know that you'll receive the double portion. Elisha sees this take place. Picks up the cloak that's left when Elijah, Elijah, Elijah leaves and carries the cloak with him. Walks back to the Jordan and here begins the miracle and the, the moment of transformation when he fulfills the call that God has placed on his life. He stands at the Jordan, rolls it up. Parts it. Why? Because he was willing to answer the call with ridiculous commitment. Unbelievable commitment. He was fully committed all the time, not just when it was convenient. Fully committed all the time, not just when it was convenient. He, under, he didn't under, understand fully. He just obeyed immediately. And he let go of what was to embrace what is. Worst team, would you come this morning and we close with this? I have three questions to leave with you. Question number one is this. What is God calling you to? This is personal. I can't answer this question for you. No one else can. What is God calling you to? And will you answer the call? It's question number one. Question number two. What security do you need to step away from that will allow you to step towards your destiny? What security do you need to step away from that will allow you to step towards your destiny? And the last one is this. What is God asking you to do that you need to obey immediately? And what's your next step? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you that you have a call for each one of us. Lord, thank you that you've called each one of us. That you have a plan and a purpose. 
And Lord, I pray that we would be willing to answer the call like Elisha. That even if we don't fully understand that we obey immediately. And and that we'll let go of what was to embrace what is. That to step towards that calling, maybe we have to let go of a security. Lord, I pray that you would help us to answer the call with ridiculous commitment. Fully committed, not just committed when it's convenient, but fully committed all the time. Lord, help us to answer the call you have on our life. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Church, if you'd like to stand with us as we close with this song, please do so. If you just want to sit and reflect, you're more than welcome to do that. But let's just allow God to speak to our hearts and to continue to speak to us this morning.